Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage by Jim Benny. So Ephesians chapter 5, uh, let's look at verse 23, please. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We constantly remind you, Ephesians 5 is not the only passage in the Bible on the family, but it really is the Magna Carta of the family. Uh, you know how I teach in this class is a little different than how I preach in the pulpit. We do more topical studies in here than we do expositional studies. And so I am kind of using this thought as a launching pad and we'll come full circle back around to it. Uh, but I basically want to answer the question this morning, why are you married? Why are you married? Um, and some of you might be thinking, that's a good question. Why am I married? No, no, I hope that's not the case. But I do want to provoke you to some thought. Why am I married? Why am I married? I heard the story of two soldiers who went to war. Uh, one went to war for the sake of his country. The other went to war to get away from his wife. And he finally wrote her and said, would you please stop writing me so I can enjoy this war in peace? Uh, but anyway, uh, I don't know why uh, this guy was married. Maybe he needs to kind of check what was going on in his life. Uh, let me just uh, mention to you, motives do not excuse wrongdoing. Motives, we're asking, why did you get married? Motives do not excuse wrongdoing. Um, you know, it was an uncommon for... Uh, me to hear from one of my children, they did something wrong, and you'd, you'd get on to them and they'd say this, but I didn't mean to do it. Well, you did it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you meant to do it, you, you did it. Uh, but I would say that while motives don't excuse wrongdoing, motives are important to life's endeavors. They, they are significant is what I'm trying to say. Um, maybe you've heard me say this before. It's an opportunity for me to say it again because repetition is the mother of all learning. And if you have a pastor for a long, sustained period of time, you're going to hear him say things over and over and over again. Um, but I would say this to you, and I've said it before. Uh, I would, I'd rather you do the right thing for the wrong reason than not do the right thing at all. Now, you may disagree with that statement, but I, I agree with that statement. Um, if you're just reading your Bible so you can check a box... So you can just raise your hand when I ask the question. If that's the only reason you're reading the Bible, uh, I'd rather you do that than not read your Bible. I don't know if you agree with that. I agree with that. You know, like, again, what I'm trying to say is somebody might say, well, I don't feel like being nice. And since I don't feel like being nice, it would be disingenuous for me to be nice. No, no, you should be nice. Right. That, that, that's how I feel about it. Uh, but I think we would all agree that to do the right thing for the right reason is superior, right? I mean, that, that should be the mark we're trying to hit. We should try to read the Bible, not because we want to raise our hand when we're asked a question or check the box to accomplish a goal, but we say, I want to read the Bible because I want to know more about God. I want to know Him personally, and I want to do His will, and that's what's motivating me to read the Bible. In fact, let's be frank, a lot of times our bad motives are what get us going in good habits that lead to good habits and good motives. Sometimes we start uh, maybe with the wrong motive and end up in the right place. But, but anyway, uh, motives are important because they reveal much about the future of any marital venture. 
Uh, let me give you a couple of thoughts about motives and what I just said, how they're connected to the future of our marriage. Uh, think about this. Marriage, uh, excuse me, motives have a direct relationship to our expectations. We've already started. This is the sixth lesson in our series here, and we've already discussed how expectations are significant in marriage. Remember, a hope deferred make the heart sick. Sometimes when we come in with expectations, maybe they came from a faulty source and we come in with uh, expectations. For example, I used one. What if you come into the marriage and you expect your husband who's 22 years old to act like your 50-year-old father? You know, that, that, that's an unrealistic expectation. Why? There hasn't been time for maturing yet. Okay, sometimes we come in with expectations that come from Hollywood movies or, or Hallmark movies. And how many of you have figured out Hollywood knows nothing about marriage? I mean, you know, you've got the Elizabeth Taylors of the world that have been married, you know, seven times or whatever the case is. They, 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 they know nothing about it. But yet sometimes we get our expectations from the movies that we watch. So, motives have a direct relationship to your expectations. One of the most common causes for marital discouragement is expectations that are not met. And so, um, here's another thought. A poor motive will also produce a weak commitment to the marriage. You see, any marriage partner whose primary motivation is selfish is going to refuse to stick around in the face of a marital mess-up. Um, so again, you see how the, the motives there um, are, are affecting the relationship. If it's selfish, that's why people say, well, why, why should I stick around? I, I deserve to be happy. I don't deserve this. You, you, you understand th those are driven by a lot of times our motives. How about this? Motives often determine our true priorities. Again, I, I made allusion to it, but if your true priority is happiness, then you will see your marriage and your mate as just simply a way to gain it. You know, that I deserve to be happy, and so this person makes me happy, and I'm going to use them to achieve my, my goal or my, my purpose. Um, again, that's not a high motive. Uh, motives determine God's blessings upon your relationship. I mean, think about this. When we stand before God, and by the way, we all will, and, and, and be reminded in Christianity, if you understand the doctrine of justification, you understand what happens when we're saved, Listen, like I feared when I was a kid, you, you're going to get to heaven and they're going to have this big screen and they're going to show every evil thought you had, every evil deed you did, and, and that's going to be exposed because you're going to stand before God. Remember, no, 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 our sin was judged at the cross. So that, that's, that's a, a false idea. Justification means just as if I had never sinned, just as if I was as righteous as Jesus Christ. So my sin is not going to be judged, but my deeds are. And if you study the Bible, remember, wood, hay, and stubble and precious metals and gems are going to withstand the purification fire. Well, don't you think that motives are going to come in? God's going to look at what you did and why you did it and see what lasts. And I think that that's going to be significant. So motives determine God's blessings upon your relationship. So every person who's ever married had a motive in mind when they got married. There was some motivation behind it for you choosing to do what you did. Okay, so the question is, why did you get married? Now, the truth of the matter is, is we're going to talk about this as we move on, and I hope I can get through all the material today. It could be, it's very well uh, to, to believe that many of us did not get married for the highest and purest and noblest motives. Okay, and that's fine. That's okay. 
In fact, in our youth and immaturity, I would dare say none of us got married for the highest of motives today. But I think we could further answer the question, why are you still married? Because I would hope as you have grown and you have matured and you have learned and you have have developed in your spirituality, that you might say, well, listen, this, this is why we are married. This is the motivation behind our relationship today. All right, so let me just start out by giving some, some bad motivations. These, these are some motivations that are not as noble and not as pure. And then I'll go to, hey, what are some things that should truly be motivating us in our marriage relationship? Number one, the escape motivation. Uh, some get married just because they want to get out of their house. Okay, and that's true. Um, I don't know if anybody in here, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I just, I just know that the, I, I've met people, I know of people that they, they just were tired of their parents' rules. They were tired of their parents' dysfunction. They were tired of the whole environment and, and they saw the way to get out was to get married. Um, a lot of times this comes from somebody who had a bad childhood experience. They want to start over. Um, and the bad thing about that is if that's your motivation, a lot of times... That ends, that ends badly because what can happen easily, doesn't have to happen, but what can happen easily is that you end up repeating the same problems in your marriage that you hated in your, the marriage that you saw. Now, now let me just pause here and give you a principle. Just because you grew up in a home where uh, your parents had a great marriage, that does not guarantee that you will have a great marriage. And just because you grew up in a home that exemplified a bad marriage, that does not mean that you will have a bad marriage. You you understand, uh, I've heard some people say, oh man, you ought to be very nervous. That that person comes from a broken home and so don't let them marry your kid. Listen, just because they came from a broken home, that doesn't mean that they're going to repeat that. And just because they came from a godly home doesn't mean they're going to repeat that. That is a true principle. But I will say that those things have influence on us, right? And what happens is a lot of times those things are repeated. And the reason they are repeated is, listen, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We keep talking about that principle in the Word of God. But what happens a lot of times, have you, have you ever met somebody who had, an, let's say, an alcoholic parent, and they, hate, they hated that? They saw the, the yelling and the fighting and the, the, the philandering and all of the junk that comes from an alcoholic situation, and they hate that. But then they grow up and they end up reproducing that in their own life. Why does that happen? Because they become fixated on it. It consumes them. They think about it. And so they end up uh, unwillingly becoming what they're consumed with all of the time. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And and, and so we have to be careful about that. This escape motivation. I I, I need to hurry. Uh, Rehabilitation motivation. Uh, you know, sometimes people get, get married because they, they want to change and they think this person can change them. Other times people get married because they love this person and they think that they can change that person. Uh, but I, I just want to help you today. You understand God is the one that changes people. And I think we need to remember that, especially those of us that have kids. Listen, I'm not saying don't discipline your kids. I'm, I'm not even saying don't modify your children's behavior. Listen, I, I have five, as you know. Sometimes they just need some behavior modification. All right. But the truth of the matter is, is the only one that can change their heart is God. 
And sometimes we get frustrated because we cannot do what God, God alone can do. And this, this sometimes bears out in, in the life of marriages as well. Somebody knows they desperately need changed and so they look to some person to change them. That's a bad motivation because that person can't do that. Uh, I, I, I sense that sometimes in pastoral ministry. Sometimes somebody comes to you and they've got a problem and they want you to solve their problem. And, and I can't do that. And then sometimes people get mad at you because you can't change them. But I'm not God. All right. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> OK. And, and, and the same is true with you. A lot of times I think women in particular think, well, I can change him. No, no God changes people. Um, and, and this can see a wife that thinks I can change him. I think ends up either getting extremely frustrated or they get their role wrong because what they end up becoming is they become his mom, not his wife. And that's a problem. All right. Listen, I don't know about you, but I, I don't need another mom. I, I married Mindy because I wanted a wife, not another mom. All right. And uh, you, you just have to be careful about that. All right. So. So anyway, uh, how about this? The nursery rhyme motivation. It's natural for a woman to want to have children in a family. I don't care what our crazy world says. That's pretty natural. Um, listen, I, again, I've got three daughters and two sons, and I've told you about how they, they both can play with dolls, but they play with them different ways. All right, my boys would be playing karate chop with some doll, and the girls are, oh, it's my baby. And they're, you know, like it's just, it's just natural uh, for women to want to have children. But I will say this, when children become primary, please get this statement, it's a good one. When children become primary, a spouse often becomes secondary. And you have to be very careful about that. In fact, in some surveys, 40% 40, 40 of married couples report that having children in their home is what is preventing divorce. It's the only thing that's keeping them together. Um, I, I think I've told you this before, I had uh, a neighbor... A neighbor directly in the house I grew up, if you're facing my front door, the neighbor directly to my left uh, was named Steve and the neighbor directly to my right was named Steve. And uh, we hung out and played baseball, basketball, football, ran around the neighborhood, rode bikes, all of that, that kind of stuff together. The neighbor to the right, Steve Clark, uh, it was common knowledge to him, to his sister, he shared it with us, that the only reason his parents were married and staying together and living in the same house was because of the kids. And as soon as he graduated from high school, they were going to get a divorce. Now, I, I'm sad to tell you, as soon as he graduated high school, they got a divorce and his dad moved out. Um, that's sad. And that's a lot of times what, what brings people together. People can become so wrapped up in their children that think about this, even when their children are grown and gone, they still call each other mom and dad. And I always think that that's a little odd, but, you know, I don't want to be a person that's just sitting around in my living room desperately hoping one of my kids drops by. L listen, I, I, I have two married children in here now, which is a little different to me, and I hope that they come by. I hope that we have a friendship and a relationship and, 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 and are able to do that, but again, Again, I don't want that to be the only glue, the only motivation that holds my relationship together. Uh, that, that cannot and should not be. All right. How about gratification motivation? Uh, what I mean by that is um, 
you know, maybe somebody just says, hey, I want, to have, I want to experience the physical aspect of marriage, and I've been raised in a moral environment, and so in order to do that, I, I should go ahead and get married. Now, now, again, the Bible says, you know, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, let him have his own wife to avoid fornication, those kind of things. And so there's some biblical basis to that. But come on, if the physical act is the source of your motivation to be married, you can see where that's a very, very weak motivation that's not going to be sustainable over the long haul as bodies and lives change over time. All right? And I think everybody understands what I'm saying there. Now, how about the obligation motivation? Meaning this, just getting married just seems to be the right thing to do. Now, can I, I want to I, I say a few things about this for just a second. I, I, I like the culture that the church produces in this idea that people should get married. Listen, you've heard me say this. I don't believe in the idea that woman is the completer. I reject that idea. Because what do you say to somebody in our church who's single? You're an incomplete person? I think, that's, I think that's unbiblical. And I do not want to create an atmosphere here that tries to create this second-class membership in our church that if somebody, you know, what's wrong with you? You can't find a spot. That, that's, that's, ungod, that's, that's not even biblical. Remember Paul talked that there are some people that don't get married. And that's fine. That's God's will for their life. And that does not mean they're incomplete. But in Christianity, we know that God said it's not good for man to be alone. And I believe that that was a social statement. But in order to establish the correct society, he established marriage as a remedy to that issue that created multiplication of people and so on and so forth. And so therefore, in Christianity, there is a strong emphasis on marriage and family because God put that, that emphasis there. So what I'm saying is we have young people who grow, grow up in a church where they see it modeled and they hear it talked about and they hear it preached about. They're, they're going to a youth department that's saying things like this. Hey, listen, the physical act of marriage is something God created and it's good, but keep yourself until you're married and then establish a marriage the right way and so this is being emphasized in front of them and so this is being modeled and emphasized and therefore people are growing up in a ministry like this and say hey that's what I want that's what I want to do and I think that that's a good thing it's it's a good thing because again it I think it, it it's a good thing not just for our church it's a good thing for for society at large I mean I think we would all agree that just let's just take God out of the equation for just a moment if we may Understand that marriage, it's a stabilitating factor in culture. I mean, it, just in society in general. If somebody is not saved, but yet they are married and create this stable base for their family, that creates a stronger community than a bunch of uh, promiscuous people having children out of wedlock or divorce situations, etc. I think we would all agree with that, and I think sociology uh, would, would contribute and prove that. But, but, that all being said, I don't think people should just get married because that's what you're expected to do. That's, that's a bad motivation. Uh, I think sometimes you see that in Bible college settings. You know, where, where I went to Bible college, I mean, it's just kind of, again, a strong emphasis there. And so it's kind of on steroids. And, and, and like, you, you can almost see people when they become a senior in, in Bible college, if they're not engaged to be married, it's like they're panicking. You know, like they're just running around asking every girl in the world, will you marry me? You know, 
Like, no, you've had four years to do it. You're a loser. No, no, no. no. Again, I'm just being silly about that. But I I just don't want somebody to feel obligated to to get married because that's what you're expected to do. And, And that's kind of a bad motivation. I think sometimes people feel obligated to get married because they've already been promiscuous. Or maybe they've had a child out of wedlock, and so they're, they're driven to, to, to be married. And, and, and again, that, that, that could be a dangerous motivation. I hope everybody's understanding what I'm saying. So I've got like seven minutes. Let me give you three motives revealed in the Bible that I think are, are, are obviously better motives. Let's say this, the glorification motivation. For committed Christians, the ultimate consideration for any undertaking is will it glorify God? Remember that catechism that says, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? All right, so we do. Uh, that's, that, that's biblical, right? Um, we know the verse that says, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 10 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, how many of you would agree with me this morning, just to keep you awake? How many of you would agree with me if eating and drinking should glorify God, our marriage should glorify God? You would agree with that? Okay, absolutely. And, and how do we define glorifying God? Remember if we say the glory of God, we're talking about like all of His nature, His essence, His attributes in totality. That's the glory of God. But if we say from a man's angle, I'm supposed to glorify God, I like to define it this way. It's very simple, it's very practical, it's very easy to remember. I want to make God look good. So in all I do, I want to make God look good. I want to make, look, look, God is great whether we make him that or not. But I want to make him appear that way to those that I represent him to, if that makes sense. So again, if it's important to eat and drink to the glory of God, we would know that it's important to marry to his glory. And, and, and again, man, we've got some newlyweds in the, in the room, and, and, and it's been fantastic, starting with Jonathan and Olivia, and then uh, Walker and Molly, and, and now Matt and Allie. I think we've just enjoyed, I know that I have, taking my relation uh, to my own children out, they've just been sweet weddings. Because you're watching people that have done it God's way, and that, that brings glory to Him. And, and, I, and I hope that um, that's a strong motivation to all of our marriages that say, maybe that's not how it started for me, but I know now I, I, I want my relationship with my spouse to, to honor God and make him look good, to exalt him in the eyes of others. Uh, that should be a motivation for our relationship. All right, number two, ministry motivation. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says this, the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. So, here's why I use that verse. If your marriage is to be a Christian marriage, then it must be Christ-like. And if it is going to be Christ-like, it has to be permeated with Christ's sacrificial spirit of ministry. So, so again, being, being a little bit quick, God has given every husband and every wife a priority of ministry in meeting the needs of his own or her own mate. So, so again, what I'm trying to emphasize to you is our greatest ministry. It's not our only ministry, but our greatest ministry is to our spouse. And we, we are to strive to serve one another. Isn't that, I know everybody gets hung up in Ephesians about hus, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. But listen, before you ever get to that, it says in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know what that's basically saying? Look out for each other and serve one, minister to one another. Uh, 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 Care for one another. Meet each other's needs. 
That's what the Bible is telling us. And I think we could all say our marriages would be better if I wasn't, my motivation wasn't to be happy myself and have my own needs met myself, but my motivation was to meet the needs of the person that I'm married to. We'd all have better relationships. That's a good motivation to serve one another. All right. How about this last one? And I've made allusion to it, but, but I, I want to end with this one. It's the illustration motivation, meaning this. What the text we read at the very beginning teaches us that the marriage relationship is a living illustration of Christ's relationship with the church. So Christ has always been concerned with reaching the world through the testimony of his people. That's what I'm going to be preaching about this morning with Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. We are witnesses to the world around us. Well, one of the ways that you and I witness to the world around us is the testimony of our Christian relationship in marriage. Remember, Jesus said this in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. Well, listen, if you don't demonstrate Christ's love to your spouse, I mean, how's the world really going to see this love that we're talking about? So, so think about it. Christians, I'm talking specifically to Christians who divorce. Now, now let, me, let me be very clear. Let me, let me pause for just a second. If there are people in our ministry that have been divorced and remarried, here's the principle. You can't change the past. You have to deal with today. Okay? So if I talk about divorce and remarriage and take a stand on that, I'm not against you. Okay? I'm just trying to be faithful to the Scriptures. All right? But, but I'm just understand Christians who divorce, they do damage to that marriage. They also have, have destroyed really a home. And if there are children involved, they do devastation to those children. I remember, I remember specifically a man in my ministry, not in this ministry, but he, he came in, oh, I'm, I'm going to divorce my wife. I, I, I pled with him, please don't do that. They both were professing Christians. And I, I, one, of my, one of my pleads with him was, what about your kids? And I remember what he said to me. He said, kids are, he, he literally just almost nonchalantly said, kids are resilient, man. And I said, they, they don't have a choice. Yes, they, they show resilience, but they don't have a choice. Okay, and, and, and again, I, I, the, the point, I'm, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little sidetracked. I'm just saying, when that happens, these things are, are terrible, to say the least, but, but what has happened is at least in a Christian home where this has happened, there's still been some message of salvation and some knowledge of, of God that will, will, will help them rebuild their lives and those kind of things. But, but here's, here's what I want you to think. Let's think beyond the borders of that. Instead of presenting the wonderful truth that God's power and love are the answer the world uh, needs, what they see in that is that the church doesn't offer much hope. What they, what they, instead of driving by a church and seeing uh, this church and wishing their marriages could be like those within the walls of that church, they live with the realization that those people are no different than I am. And, and I think that that's sad. I think that that's sad. So I think we should live with the realization and the motivation that, hey, I want to illustrate Christ's love to the church in my relationship to my spouse. Again, I don't know that any of us got married with that in mind. So I'm not shaming in you because I'm, I'm guilty of that too. But I'm just saying, as we grow and as we mature, we need to think about these things. 
So let me, let me close with this. Even if your marriage began for all the wrong reasons, all the wrong reasons, maybe they had the worst of motives or intentions, I say to you again, God is more interested in the present than he is in the past. Right? Remember what Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind me, reaching forth to those things which are before me. How about what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes? He said, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. So let's face it, most of us didn't have the highest of motives when we were married. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I didn't stand before the marriage altar and say, you know, here's my opportunity to show God's love to the world. I really wasn't thinking that way. Now, I can say that unlike many in the world, I was thinking of the seriousness and the sobriety of the vows that I was making, but I, I wasn't thinking of Christ and his love for the church, really. But I, but I do want to live with the motivation now that, hey, I want my relationship to glorify God, which I do think I had that then, and many of you did too. Uh, I don't know that I was strongly motivated by ministry, Really, because come on, if you're like me and you got married in your early 20s and you're a dude, you're pretty selfish. Okay? Pretty selfish and had to grow out of that. And, and, and so hopefully I've grown in that a little bit. Uh, and, and Mindy's not here to answer that, so maybe a corner say, has he, has he grown out of his selfishness? And she'll say, eh. <laughs> But in our illustration motivation, you know, we want to... We want to live with the realization that we are representing the power of God and the love of God to the world in which we live in. And I, again, I hope that my kids grew up in a home where they said, hey, I want that. But I hope, I hope my neighbors, the people that I come in contact, we represent the Lord well and people say, hey, there's a difference there because of the gospel of Jesus Christ.